0: Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. Let's
1: be upfront about breast cancer and diets. Keto, fasting, juicing, just to name a few. There's always a new one making big promises. So which ones are worth doing and do they carry any additional risks or adverse effects if you have breast cancer? We welcome dietitian and nutritionist Lauren Atkins. And also joining us is Lana Heath. Lana, like so many women, wanted to make changes to her diet after her diagnosis, but became overwhelmed with all that Google had to offer. Welcome to you both.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. Okay, Lauren, is there a magic cancer diet?
2: I wish I could say yes. I really do. Certainly there are particular foods that are best included, and also foods that are best limited or avoided, but there's absolutely no one way of eating that has been proven to prevent or cure cancer.
1: Okay. So, Lana, you um, were diagnosed at 31 uh, with three very young children. Were you healthy to start with or was it post your diagnosis that you decided, right, I need to change the way I eat? Um, I believe I was
3: relatively healthy um, before my diagnosis. I feel, you know, I was exercising and, and quite mindful, even as a young child, about, you know, what's healthy, so to speak, foods and what's not so healthy. Um,
1: so, yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, my lifestyle was pretty healthy, I'd say. So, did you want to make specific changes? Was it about trying to stop recurrence? Was it about trying to cope with. Post-treatment? To live
3: was the biggest thing, obviously, (laughs) just to get through it. And then, um, you know, I'd only heard certain things about chemotherapy, but it was more to manage how sick I was going to be, being that I am am a single parent and, you know, can't lie in bed all day and, um, yeah, recover that way. So it was to have the energy to, you know, keep being a mum, to keep doing the things I have to do, sports, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, just keep me on my feet. So
1: how did you approach it? I went to Lauren. Did you go to Lauren first or did you go to Dr Google? Wow, I did, yeah. I did go to Dr (laughs) Google first. (laughs) And lots of people like to say, no, 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 no. But it's just... It's right there. Yeah. It's like a big carrot, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, there 24 hours a day and especially in the middle of the night when you've got all those things running out of your head, it's just so easy mm. to, to ask Dr. Google. Yeah. Well, what were some of the things
3: that Dr. Google threw up um, for you? Well, before I was even officially diagnosed, I had my um, pathology results there in front of me and I had no idea what any of these words meant. So I'm Googling those words to find out in layman's terms what I actually have and what's going on. Like, I did not know what carcinoma meant or, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, So I'm like, okay, processing that. And then in my head, what I thought I had, then I was like, what, uh, you know where do I go from here? Is there, like you said to Lauren, is there a magic cure? Is there things I can be doing at home to um, prevent this from getting worse, I suppose? Um, and yeah, a juice diet came up. That was one of the first things that popped up on Dr. Google.
1: I'm sure many are familiar with the juice diet, but how radical is it? Well, I like I said, I had
3: n- no uh, previous knowledge on any of this. And when it came up, it was, you know... a male doctor from overseas recommending to like a juice detox I guess to have like 12 different juices a day and that was it and because I was quite um confident in you know my own food choices and stuff I sort of it was like a little bit of a red flag I was like oh I don't know about that and then yeah a lot of other contradicting information so that's when I approached Lauren I was like I need to get some clarity from a professional
1: about this What do you think of the juice diet,
3: Lauren?
2: The juice diet, such a challenge because it sends a big promise and like Lana said, anything that does promise to cure or makes a radical change to your diet, red flags. Mm. Uh, Because if you're cutting out food groups or if you're modifying your diet profoundly, it's going to have a huge impact on your lifestyle with very little likelihood of making any difference.
1: Is that Does that go for all of them? Is that for the keto, for
2: um, fasting? Yeah, look, they, they tend to have different levels of scientific information behind them. The juicing diet has very, very little evidence to substantiate that it would make any difference whatsoever. The concept is very much around cleansing or detoxing the diet and having a really high load of antioxidants through the form of concentrated fruits or vegetables as juice. But that can actually be quite detrimental when undergoing certain types of treatment. So, for example, during radiotherapy, having really high loads of antioxidants when juicing can actually theoretically interfere with the impact of radiation. So there's red flags for a good reason, because making profound dietary change and and following a, a diet that's really not balanced can have a huge detriment to your health and how you feel through treatment. So very, very pleased when Lana reached out to me and um, very early on Mm. in your your journey because she was yet to start chemo. So how did you
1: approach educating Lauren on the best way forward with her diet given that she hadn't started?
2: Yeah, so a lot of our first session was around actually appreciating what chemotherapy regimen and treatment plan she was planned for and building knowledge around what that might mean from a side effect point of view and how we could then utilise her diet and nutrition choices to reduce the severity of her treatment side effects, potentially manage some of those side effects and help her to recover in between cycles because being a busy single mum, she needed to be well and as well as possible. And so we were using good food choices in that fight.
1: What were some of the things that perhaps surprised you, Lana?
2: Um, You know, touching on
3: the the juice diet as well, I can see how it, you know, knowing what I know now and how the effects of chemotherapy can, you know, knock you for six, I can see how other women would think juicing would be a good idea because... When you're on chemotherapy, you lose, you know, everybody's different. But for me personally, I had ulcers in my mouth. You lose a lot of sensation and taste in your mouth. So sipping on a cold juice would actually be quite relieving.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, A lot of the times your mouth is so dry and you can't eat and you can't, you know, have a steak like you used to and all these sorts of things. So, yeah, I can see how that could be appealing. Like, hey, all I have to do is get down 12 juices a day. And that seems easy. But, yeah, like Lauren said from a... um, yeah, antioxidant point of view, and with regards to treatment, yeah, not so, not so great. So, um, things that surprised me would have been um, everything, to be honest. I mean, most of what I was doing was was good and was right. Lauren said, um, but I, you know, needed to eat more
1: frequently. And when you're on chemotherapy,
3: that's the last thing you actually want to do is eat. Yes.
1: You know, it's, it's a bit like exercise, isn't it? Because traditionally, 20 years ago, it was like, just have your chemo and take a rest yeah. and don't exercise. And now it's, it's flipped yeah. and it is quite common for yeah. people not to want to um, eat yeah. during chemo. But is that something that they should... Well, so important.
2: Bits more often. Yeah. And look, Lana's in a position where she was really motivated to preserve her muscle mass and her lean body mass, which is so important for her strength, her treatment tolerance, her recovery, but also long term for her body's metabolism and ability to maintain a healthy weight longer term. And so we focused a lot on meeting your caloric needs mm, mm. and particularly your enhanced protein requirements. Yeah. So the particular treatment that Lana was having meant that she needed somewhere up to 150% of her protein requirements, which means eating enough protein for one and a half people. at the same time, you've probably felt like eating a quarter of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So were you feeling like you were forcing
3: yourself to eat? Oh, 100%. I mean, and I love food. I love food. And my mind towards food hadn't changed, my mindset. I still loved all these foods in my head, you know, and was on board with anything um, Lauren said. And I was... I knew how to track calories and knew how to, you know, count macros and stuff. So that part was okay uh, because I already knew how to do that. But actually hitting those numbers and getting that food in, yeah, it was really hard because you just, for starters, you don't want to make the food. You've got no energy to make all these fantastic meals. Um, And secondly, yeah, to try and actually get them into you was hard. So
1: have you got maybe a tip or a hack for someone that doesn't feel like eating.
2: Yeah. And look, I think a lot of the key comes from maintaining the frequency with which you eat. Because every time we eat, it sends messages to our body that we've got food, it moves the next lot along and we get used to regular intake. If we go for long periods of not eating or eating less, your body doesn't expect food as often. And so to preserve your appetite, it's actually really important to eat regularly. So one thing I would encourage is every two or three hours, even if it's just a mouthful or a sip of a smoothie, put something in because that helps to preserve your appetite. And another really important tip is to, wherever you can, build every meal or snack around a source of protein. So whether that's an animal source of protein, so something like poultry, fish, uh, meat, dairy products or it might be some tofu, some nuts, some seeds, some edamame, eggs, whatever you feel like, small amount often can make a big difference.
1: And we stick to whole foods?
2: Ideally whole foods, yeah. Unless you're somebody in the circumstance where perhaps you're doing a lot of training and physical activity... And perhaps you might be doing a lot of strength training during your treatment and your need for protein is quite elevated. In many cases, there will be a requirement for a protein supplement. But it's really important to chat to your dietitian or a pharmacist or your doctor about it because certain supplements can absolutely interfere with your treatment. BCNA's online network is an active peer-to-peer support
0: community where people affected by breast cancer can find information and connect with others who understand what you're going through read posts, write your own, ask a question, start a discussion and support others. The online network is available for you at every stage of your breast cancer journey, as well as your family, partner and friends. For more information, visit bcna.org.au forward slash online network.
1: What about someone who is overweight? Quite often um, we have women who are overweight at diagnosis and are told to lose weight before surgery Mm. or, you know, post-treatment want to try and lose weight to reduce the chance of occurrence. Mm. Do those principles still apply?
2: Well, that's actually really key during treatment to maintain that protein, regular protein intake, because what we often find is that even those who perhaps uh, may be a little bit overweight pre and during treatment... The altered metabolic needs of the body during chemotherapy, radiotherapy or post-surgery means you're more likely to utilise your muscle stores or deplete your muscle stores. And we know how important muscle is for metabolism and therefore your long-term body weight management. And so if you can preserve your muscle mass in the short term during treatment, you're far less likely to put on weight down the track which is why it's really valuable to have those conversations early and um, I guess not try not to fall into the trap of, right, I have no appetite, I want to lose weight, this is great. And so that can be really challenging and a difficult headspace to get into um, and that's where education and knowledge is really important because if you know that you can make change now to impact you in the future, that's really empowering. And nutrition is something you've got control over during treatment You lose control over so much, Mm -hmm. um, but you do get to decide what you put in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And I think often we can fall into the trap of air quotations, eat whatever you feel like, uh, but what you feel like won't necessarily be what's best for you or what's going to make you feel good. So having that information and knowledge to build your plate and your day and make wise choices can make a really big difference to how you feel both in the short term and the long term. It must be very
1: tempting for people who are, who are overweight, who are instructed to lose
2: weight um, to pick a fad diet. Absolutely. I mean, anyone's going to lose weight on a tea detox or a juice diet because there's very few calories coming in, um, but that's short-term weight loss that leads to muscle loss, um, which unfortunately is likely to cause more harm in the long term. Keto diet is, is very buzzword. Very. And the ketogenic diet is based around the concept that by depleting our body of carbohydrates, we can in theory starve or reduce the growth of the cancer. And although that may work in a test tube where there's no other energy substrates, once you've depleted glucose, there's no other energy to use in a test tube, in the human body, you've still got access to your fat stores and more likely your muscle stores. And the, the ketogenic diet is a really challenging one to follow. And it was actually developed back many years ago to help in the management of retractable epilepsy. So it's been, been shown to be useful to manage seizures in those that don't respond to medication. But in working in that space, what we know is that even those who have therapeutic benefit from seizure control, after a few months, compliance can drop to about 50%. How did it swap over to the magic weight loss diet then? <laughs> the magic weight loss diet. Yeah, the theory is around by a reducing carbohydrate load, you access your fat stores for fuel. But that theory is actually quite flawed because you've actually got a lot of fat coming in from your diet. It's a really high-fat, very low-carbohydrate diet. And the analogy I like to make with the ketogenic diet and fat loss is it's like digging a hole while somebody is filling it in on the other side. See, that's fun. Because you're eating, you're eating so much fat, yeah. So you're trying to burn the fat, but you're also eating so much. And so it does still depend on your overall uh, caloric balance or your sort of energy in, energy out equation, which is really complicated. But like I said too, particularly when it comes to the cancer conversation, the evidence is emerging in the space of brain tumours, in particular glioblastoma, because one thing that's unique about our brain is that it can only use glucose or ketones for fuel. The rest of our body can use glucose protein, fat, or ketones. And it takes a hell of a long time to run out of fat and protein. So you're going to burn through those stores before you even uh, tap in to that ketogenic pathway necessarily.
1: How could the keto diet have an adverse effect on someone who's um, having treatment? Mm.
2: All right, Lana, I'm going to use you here. Ready? So let's say it's day two post-chemo. Yeah. And I'm asking you to eat for breakfast, mm-hmm. bacon, eggs. For lunch, I'm asking you to eat avocado, sour cream and maybe a stem of broccolini. Yeah. For dinner, you're going to have, again, bacon or a really fatty cut of meat, yeah. um, an egg and some broccoli cooked in butter.
1: Yeah. What about
2: snacks? Does she get snacks? Yeah, you could snack on maybe some nuts, avocado or sour cream. Yeah. How are you yeah. going to feel? Yeah. I mean all those foods sound, sound great right now
3: yeah making me hungry <laughs> but um yeah putting my mind back to yeah like you said take day two post chemo treatment that is the last thing mm. for starters like I said you don't want to be up cooking those things it's it's almost like when you're pregnant you the smell of cooking bacon would be enough to put you off and to try and get those oily foods down mm. you know I um if I've failed to prepare my meals I was clutching at McDonald's sometimes you know just to even feed the kids Mm. and I'd have some of that and I'd feel worse than when I did beforehand the you know the oily fatty foods would just be sitting in my stomach and then
2: yeah. And what can be really helpful in post-chemo when you do feel a bit queasy is some bland starchy carbohydrates.
1: What about post-treatment what about
2: um, 12 months two years? Mm -hmm. So the evidence isn't there in particularly in the space of weight loss what the the most the strongest evidence shows is that you will lose weight so you lose weight on the scales but you don't lose your fat stores you're actually more likely to use your muscle stores which we know might help your weight drop in the short term but long term that same argument you you've lost muscle mass therefore your metabolism slows therefore you're more likely to put on more weight in the future and that's what studies shows it's like a u you lose weight, then you put it back on.
1: Lana, how big a difference do you think your diet made to your ability to tolerate chemotherapy? Oh, huge, huge, huge
3: difference. Um, I exercised throughout the whole um, uh, process as well. Lauren actually referred me on to an exercise physiologist um, and she helped you know, just as much as Lauren did with the nutrition side of things. Um, Yeah, just getting, it's just about having energy. Like you just feel so nauseous Um, and you've got, you know, a lot of medications there that they give you and it's just all so overwhelming. It's all new. Um, You know, you don't know when you're supposed to pop this pill, take that pill, this one's going to make, do this to this, you know, and mask that one. But, you know, I'm not one for taking pills anyway personally. So I thought if I, and I know how good I can feel after a good nutritious meal... You know, I've even got, you know, self-recordings of my phone telling myself, like, I just need to eat. I know how good I can feel off, you know, good, good food. I just need to get it down. That's, the, you know, the first part. Then let it sit in your stomach and see how you feel. And, look, you do have anti-nausea medication if it's not sitting well or, you know, other tablets and, and things like that. But once it's in and it's done, you do. You, you just feel so different, so much more energetic.
2: And one thing we, we also focused on was... Compensating in the times when she was feeling better for the times when she was just mm. feeling rubbish. Yeah. So there are absolutely going to be days where you don't eat enough or you don't eat well. But if you can make up for those, um, make up for those days on the others, then you can put yourself in a really good position. Yep. And I don't know, Lana, did you utilize your support networks much to help with meals throughout your? Uh, yeah, um, I did, and that was that
3: was a, a big thing for me. Um, reading some of the questions going into this podcast today, that. Um, you know challenges that i faced with nutrition was yeah not preparing before your chemo so i mean everybody's chemotherapy cycles are different that, you know, mine were four weeks, um, but you know, between each. So I had that time in that last week when you are starting to feel really good again to prepare my meals and to call on support networks. You know, I, I'm lucky enough to have my family um, around that could, you know, prepare um, foods for me. But, you know, just something as simple as a, a bolognese sauce and you can pop it in the freezer and, you know, defrost it. Um, things like that were just, yeah, you know, my mum would make these, I can't talk about them enough, these biscuits and they were like base of pumpkin puree and they had all these seeds and nuts and berries and stuff in them and I call them like a powerhouse biscuit mm-hmm. and I'd just snack on them. I had them there at my disposal. So yeah, it, it gets quite overwhelming when you are feeling sick to cook. Um, so if you can, in your, in your good days, I'll reach out to your support networks to help
1: um, prepare meals. Yeah, definitely. Did you develop any of a few of your own little hacks? apart from the magic
3: cookies. Those biscuits, hands down, <laughs> even post-suit. to patent the recipe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She'd love that. Um, yeah, those biscuits and, uh, yeah, just, just meals, just basic meals. You know, like Lauren said, my um, the forefront of my mind all the time eating was around a protein source first. Mm. And I've, I've been like that, though, so it, it can be quite daunting to people um, that don't know as much. Um so, yeah, just basic thing, you know, just a chicken from bullies and a salad was just so easy and convenient. And that's, yeah.
1: Was there any particular food that you found sat really well with you or one that really didn't? Um, smoothies were good
3: on the times that I couldn't, um, that I couldn't, I really just couldn't get anything in you know to eat or to chew yeah a smoothie a banana smoothie bananas have always been lifesavers for me you know pre post cancer diagnosis a banana was you know good to
2: snack on i guess and the difference between a smoothie and a juice is so profound because you think about blending all of those whole foods into a an actually a dense meal or snack compared to extracting all of the liquid out of a, an otherwise really nourishing food product. Yeah, big difference between a smoothie and juice. So don't confuse the two. Don't confuse the two. And if you are juicing, I would encourage you to invest instead in a really good quality blender and pulverise it. The whole thing. Oh, the whole thing. Because you're then getting all the fibre, the phytonutrients, all the antioxidants, um, but bound up in all of the goodness rather than just extracting that liquid juice. So we know that there's no magic
1: diet to either lose weight or cure cancer or prevent cancer or stop it reoccurring. Are there some magic single foods that
2: everyone should know about to include in their diet? There's a bit of magic out there, absolutely. And look, the area of nutrition and cancer and particularly nutrition and breast cancer is fascinating and more and more nutrition research is underway to explore what foods, nutrients and ways of eating can impact us and our cancer risk but also our recurrence risk. So a few little top tips would be some particular foods to look out for would be walnuts. They have actually been shown to reduce a pathway that can increase inflammation and drive some cancer pathways. And so walnuts are a really useful food and nut to include often, daily if you can, a handful a day. Raw? Raw natural is, is best. Dry roast if you like. Try not to do roasted salted um, just because that can change the profile a little bit. Another food group to look out for are orange or dark green Vegetables and fruits. So, I'm looking at a particular vitamin group called carotenoids, which is a category of um, category of vitamin A, and that's a really valuable nutrient e- that's been explored that can maybe helpful in the space of breast cancer as an antioxidant. So things like sweet potato, pumpkin, red capsicums, tomatoes, anything that's really vibrantly orange or red. Is a very useful food to include. And the food itself is being shown to be more beneficial than taking a supplement. So the whole food is best. Another useful one is oily fish. So things like salmon, mackerel, sardines, the omega 3s that are really rich in those particular oily fish can down regulate some inflammatory pathways and can be useful in the context of breast cancer. In particular, if you're perhaps replacing some of your red meat intake for oily fish. Another useful one can be green tea because the antioxidant profile of green tea, again as a whole food or as a tea tea leaf, has shown some benefit in the context of breast cancer. But some women do struggle a little bit with green tea, in particular with hot flushes, uh, and we don't want to have too much of it during radiotherapy.
1: Thanks to Lauren and Lana for sharing their insights and experience with us. Be sure to listen to our other podcast on nutrition with Lauren. And if you want more, there's links to great resources on the My Journey tool at myjourney.org.au. The opinions of our guests in our podcast series are welcome, but not necessarily shared by BCNA. Please contact your health professional with any individual concerns you have. This episode was made with thanks to Cancer Australia. Until next time, I'm Kelly Curtin. Thanks for being upfront with us i